had a spreadsheet. I had a target list. I had people that I called, that I texted, that I emailed. I asked them to contribute a certain amount. I told them what incentives they were going to get for it. I followed up. I was like, boom, boom, boom. I had it color coded. People who say yes. People who were like, call me back on this date. People were like, eh. you know, I had I was extremely methodical so that by the time we even actually turned on the crowdfunding campaign to launch, I think we already had like $10,000 within the first day mm. because I was like, this is when it's launching. I need you to be on there at this time because when people come and they see there's already people who are backing us that believe in us, then they're more willing to be like, oh, okay, bet. Yeah, let me, let me throw some more on there. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the More Rounds Podcast. I'm Kim Lewis, CEO and co-founder of Curl Mix, and today I have my girl with me, Khadijah Robinson, you guys. She sold her company to Diddy. Yes, she did. And today we're going to be talking about how she funded her business. But first, I want to get into this toast. Cheers. Cheers. More, to more rounds, girl. To, to more, more rounds. rounds. All right. So, oh, you can go ahead and put the wine down. Oh, there you go. I, do I have to? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, you should put that. That's just prop wine. <laughs> so tell me, Khadija, tell me about yourself, how you got started in entrepreneurship, um, and then how you um, sold your company and moved into Empower Global. Yeah. Ooh, that's a long story. Well, Where just, do I start? Whatever you want to say, girl. Okay. I'm originally from Savannah, Georgia, down the road. I am a Southern girl through and through. I did not know anything about venture capital raising money, none of that when I was growing up. I wanted to be a veterinarian first and then a lawyer. I did become a lawyer. I went to Spelman, went to law school, went to Harvard, became a lawyer and hated it from the beginning. I was like, no, there has to be another way. I can't do this for the rest of my life. So I started my first company while I was practicing law. That was The Nihilist. It was a discovery platform for Black-owned e-commerce brands. And it really started as a hobby, as an Excel spreadsheet. And then grew from there, really because of the engagement I was getting from family and friends around it. And when I started it, even when I started the the actual platform, I started working on the website, I really wasn't thinking like, I'm building a business. I was just thinking, oh, I'm building a resource. People ask me about Black-owned businesses that I know about, that I've been researching. I'm putting it here for people. And a lot of my journey has really been about timing. It was all timing with respect to that. So I wanted to support black owned businesses. I shop online a lot. So I started compiling this database of e-commerce based black owned businesses in 2019. And I launched March 1st, 2020. That timing was crazy for multiple reasons. First of which was that everybody started shopping online all of a sudden. And then a few months later, everybody started thinking about black entrepreneurs and supporting black businesses not all of the sun for like the people who know but for a lot of the world it was a, a bit of a change and so we just saw a lot of growth over the next year that led to the acquisition and, and working on the next thing so i have a question you know i know a few folks who have different platforms to like find black businesses how did you get yours to stand out compared to the others like you know not everybody's getting acquired by diddy mm. so like what were you doing that made them find you or look up and say oh like this is a dope platform this is better than the x y and z you know 
I was very product focused. So I was very intense about what this was going to look like, what it felt like, what the experience was like for the user and very much about the feedback that I was getting from people when they're like, Oh, why is this here? This doesn't make sense. Actually taking that and kind of internalizing it. But as every entrepreneur knows, like product is just a small bit of the journey. Exactly. A lot of it is also that the, the timing and the positioning. So I was also very community focused and I was very much about partnerships. And I think partnerships is what really bridged that gap because I was all about how can I work with other people? I am not trying to be the only person in this lane. I don't need to be like, you know, kind of keeping this all to myself. This is really all about community. What I was building was at essence about community, about really focusing on and uplifting black entrepreneurs as a community. And so I, um, I even at one point formed a coalition with other black business, like directories and platforms, figure out how we could all work together. Mm. I would go to all of these different expos and conferences and actually talk to business owners about what they needed, what they were looking for with respect to community. And I was very focused on how I built for them. And so I think that made a lot of the difference. So how'd you get the call? Like where'd they find you? You know what I mean? Like, was it they just Googling and they found you? They saw you online. Like how did your buyer find you? I put myself out there in all different respects with like, you know, I went out there in all different respects. Put, put myself out there. You know, one of my friends, to to use her terminology, one of my friends who's also an entrepreneur told me at one, one point, like, girl, I've been hoeing for these contracts. I've been hoeing for these contracts. I've been throwing it out there for these contracts. And I'm like, listen, as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur in particular, you got to be out there and And so I was really like on the circuit. I was applying for all kinds of things. I was talking to all kinds of people. I was networking my behind off, even though in 2020, I spent the majority of that year in Nigeria. I got stuck there because of COVID. Like I went there expecting to be here for two weeks. I was there for like seven months. You were stuck in Nigeria? I was stuck in Nigeria. So I was networking on the Zoom and on the Google Meets like it was nobody's business. Wow. I was applying for all kinds of pitch competitions. I did Founders Gym at that point. Mm. And I was a part of that cohort With Mandela, right? With Mandela. And that was also like instrumental. When I went to go raise money, Mandela was one of the people who told me yes. And so, I mean, I have people who were in that cohort with me in Founders Gym who are like still friends and we do things together now. But I put myself out there. And so I applied for a pitch competition with Revolt, which I did not make it into like the final people who actually pitched. Girl. But at that point, I got on the radar of the Combs Enterprises team. And so just started chatting a bit. And as, you know, the the thoughts of partnership developed, you know, that led to acquisition discussions. There's a lesson in that. I feel like I meet a lot of entrepreneurs these days who don't want to pitch. They're like, Mm. it's intense or I don't know. I'm wasting my time. I'm not going to get it. You know, I've probably pitched 100 times and never won money. I don't know who they be giving the money to because it ain't me. I ain't never won the money out there. <laughs> who won the money on these uh, pitch competitions? It's a scam. They just getting leads. They ain't giving that money away. Something. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you were, how many events were you going to a week? Oh, I don't even know. Everything was virtual at that point because we were still in the heart of COVID, but I was on 
the and I also was still working full time as a lawyer, which was crazy. Wow. Like I did not really sleep that much. It helped that I was ahead in time because of I was in Nigeria, so I had the time difference kind of to my advantage. But I went to so many different networking things. I mean, between individual meetings with people who referred me to folks that they just thought I should know, uh, between meetings with my team, between meetings with people in my cohort for Founders Gym, and then going to all these different like virtual meetings. I went to so many different virtual conferences. How many virtual meetings drink, are you having Taste makers, all kinds of stuff. Oh, gosh. I would say virtual meetings. I had at least six or seven a day. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is, a, And you were working full-time? Yes. And what were you doing full-time? I was a lawyer like what at a law lawyer? firm. I was at a corporate law firm. I was doing internal investigations. Oh, my. Oh, so that's what you mean by the time difference. You could work for your corporate firm during the day, and then you'd be able to take the meetings at night in Nigeria, potentially, but that would be the morning time here. That's a real hack. But you working like... 14 hour days for real for real more more yeah. oh my gosh okay okay so you how, oh last I want to ask you this founders gym was not free right? it was not free so how'd you afford it you just paid it like with credit cards or something like how could you afford it and how much did it cost I was using my salary as a lawyer to finance my entire entrepreneurship life and so I think at the time founders gym was a couple thousand dollars and I really debated about whether or not I wanted to pay for it I talked to a few people who had done it before to get their perspective on whether or not they thought it was worth it. And I ultimately obviously decided to do it really because I felt like a lot of other kind of accelerator programs will, they, they want, they aren't there. They don't cost upfront, but in the long run, they actually cost you a lot more because they want equity out of your company. Yeah. And that equity hopefully will be worth a lot one day if you're doing what you're supposed to do and you're doing things right. So paying a couple thousand dollars up front is really nothing. Way cheaper. Way cheaper in the long run. So did you end up raising money for the Nihilist? I raised only through crowdfunding for the Nihilist prior to our acquisition. So I crowdfunded on the, a platform called Fun Black Founders and, you know, run girl by Renee. Renee. Right. Yes, Renee. Shout love out, Renee. Her. We love you, girl. Shout out. And at the time, that was uh, towards the end of 2020. So at the time, I had the biggest raise on their platform ever. I was very methodical about my crowdfunding. And so... How much I, did you raise? I raised almost $40,000 at that time. Yo, and you don't have to pay nobody back, like nothing? No, it was no all equity? incentive-based crowdfunding. So what did you give people? I gave people tiered sort of access to products i really and i i again this is where the community comes in i had built this community with the business owners so i called these business owners and i'm like hey i want to do this crowdfund would you be willing to donate your product so that i can include that as a part of the incentive that i give the people who back my campaign and they did i did did that with dozens of black businesses that i worked with and so I gave people product I gave people t-shirts and mugs I gave business owners uh, access to various perks once the platform actually launched and you know they were able to get like advertising and all that kind of stuff so I really like took the community approach yeah, this is dope okay so I love crowdfunded businesses just simply because the people they believe in you more than they believe in everybody else 
because they wouldn't they put their own dollars behind it. And yours is different because they wasn't expecting something back. Like they getting just they're just gifting this to you. So how many people did funded you to get that forty thousand dollars? I had a few hundred backers. I think I ended up with maybe just close to two hundred. So it was like it wasn't a gigantic number. I was very purposeful about who I went to and asked to back me and the amount of money that they were putting into the you know, this is incredible, Khadija, because I think people will look at you and say, oh, well, she went to Harvard Law and she just asked her network and that's how she scrounged, you know, scrounged up money for, for her startup. You're like, no, girl, I crowdfunded and I was very strategic about how I did that. So you said you and asked- most of the people that I was talking to were not like people who went to Harvard Law with me. What I will say, though, is like when you when you are community oriented and very purposeful about your relationships over a period of time. You can go to that network and really make some shit happen. <laughs> like, you can make some things happen. And people really underestimate it. A lot of folks think like, oh, I don't know anybody who got money like that and blah, blah, blah. I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. It's not like I just know a heck of people who got all this money. But when I asked people, hey, can you give, can you give me a certain number of products? They were able, you ask people for what they are able to do and you'll be very surprised. Mm. You know, I have this saying that um, friends are greater than financials because Mm. essentially, you know, that first money in is typically a friend, somebody who just believes in you. That's so dope. Okay. So you raised 400, I mean, $40,000 for the Nihilist. You, how many um, people did you have on your platform at that time? Or after oh, you raised the money and like before you sold businesses, to Combs. by the time we sold, we had a few thousand businesses listed there. It mm. was, it was, yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, I really, it was hard. Oh, it was a slog. It was very difficult, but we had a pretty engaged community there. And so, yeah. Do you recommend exciting. crowdfunding for rewards and incentives to other people or not really? It depends. I think people think that they're going to go into a crowdfund and then like people are just going to give them free money. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, folks just going to throw some money at me and then I got to pay it back. It's great. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's money that you don't have to pay back and you don't have to pay out equity, but it's work. Like <laughs> I've always been a methodical person. And so in the weeks leading up to the crowdfund, Renee can tell you, she and I would be talking about this. She's like, okay, well, that's what some of our other companies are have done. I'm like, but this is what I'm going to do. I had a <laughs> spreadsheet. I had a target list. I had people that I called, that I texted, that I emailed. I asked them to contribute a certain amount. I told them what incentives they were going to get for it. I followed up. I was like, boom, boom, boom. I had it color coded. People who say yes. People were like, call me back on this date. People were like, eh. you know, I had I was extremely methodical so that by the time we even actually turned on the crowdfunding campaign to launch, I think we already had like ten thousand dollars within the first day mm. because I was like, this is when it's launching. I need you to be on there at this time because when people come and they see there's already people who are backing us that believe in us, then they're more willing to be like, oh, okay, bet. Yeah, let me, let me throw some more on there. This is so good. So it is not easy. It's definitely a lot of work. and But I do, I do recommend it because I think that it really trains people to do what can be very difficult, especially for women, especially for black people, which is ask for the bag. 
ask for the money. Yes. We will go into a whole pitch and be like, thank you so much for listening. This is our company. We're raising $3 million. It was really great to meet you. <laughs> and it's like, no, give me a million dollars. Are you going to give me the million dollars or not? Like, why are we here if I'm not asking for the bag? So I have gotten very good at being like, okay, so about the money, you going to pay or not? When? What's the, you, you need the wire instructions or not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it very easy for you to give me this money. Very, very easy. No, I love that. It, it, I agree with you 1000%. I did a training on money and I was like, the biggest thing that we don't do is literally ask for it. Literally ask for the money. That's how you find it. All right. So you get this $40,000, you invest into the now list. And how long before you're talking to Diddy about selling? That was in the fall of 2020. So I think we closed the crowdfund in October. Okay. And then I started conversations initially just with respect to partnership with Combs Enterprises in the spring of 2021. Okay. So it was a few months later. And did you raise any other money outside of that? Or no, you were all like everything kind of else was the money that I put into it. And I did win a couple of grants. So I applied, not like the pitch competitions that I went in and pitched in, but I did win a couple of grants for the business. How much in grants did you get? I got maybe 20K. Okay. So I spent some time applying for grants. And honestly, I do understand why people have an issue with pitching and applying for these grants. Because you're like, I ain't never won the money. (laughs) (laughs) In my whole life. Okay. It, It is extremely time consuming. And it can feel like the payoff isn't really there if you're constantly being overlooked and not really winning the money. So I would, I've been thinking a lot about this, not for myself because I'm not really in a place where I'm applying for grants or doing that much pitching, but just thinking about how we kind of fix that system. Like y'all are all asking for some variation of something the same we need ish. we need a common application like they have for <laughs> for out colleges for these darn grants because you're taking up so much time for the business owners who are supposed to be building the business. Mm. How many grants did you apply for? Oh, dozens. I'm not in the hundreds, but definitely a few dozen. If you've seen any of the content we produced or Chromex online and thought, man, I want to invest in that company, now's your chance. Go to Chromex.com backslash invest and you can become an investor today. Now back to the episode. Mm, okay. And then how long did it take you to get that 20 from the time you started applying to the time you actually got the money? I would say probably eight or nine months before I, I won mm. the first one. Okay. So, so you, so crowdfunding for rewards is preferred to grant writing. It depends. I think you can be doing all, I, you can do as much as you have the capacity to do. Obviously building your business is first and foremost. Yeah. Because for me, nothing speaks more for a business than revenue. And I think that's another thing that we get caught up on as entrepreneurs who are relatively new to this space. That's like, you know, the investing venture back, blah, blah, blah. Like we as black entrepreneurs, I think, have been done a disservice by being pushed very heavily into this mindset of, getting investors, raising all this capital, being so focused on how much money we're raising and not focused on how much <laughs> revenue we're generating. Man, tell them, tell them. Cause I'm like, baby, it's not a business. <laughs> if you're not making money, 
I like but I actually I I just kind of put a, a hot take out there amongst some of my friends. I'm like, anything past a series C to me is giving scam vibes. <laughs> because <laughs> what are you doing if you can't generate Money the laundering. revenue to like if you cannot generate the revenue to grow at that point? The only possible reason is that the founders want to cash out. Like people who have money in the business want to take that money out. So they want to put new money in. But at that point, if you're at a serious C level, you should be generating the revenue to grow. And if you're not, this is not a business. It's a Ponzi scheme. So it's a Ponzi scheme. I love that. So for our listeners out there who are not familiar with raising capital and investments, can you explain the series? It precedes Series A, Series B, C. What what does that mean? Right. So a lot of businesses will start out at the sort of friends and family, which is almost like a pre-precede. And they'll take some very, very, very initial capital, if not putting their own capital into their business, to really get it started, to get off of the ground a bit with their idea. And then a lot of people raise pre-seed. Once they have developed a little bit more, you're not necessarily at a stage where you have an MVP, like yeah. a, mm-hmm. a you know, sort of functional product, but you are uh, most likely past the like pure idea phase where you're like, I want to do this thing and I need some money and resources to do it. And then once you go from pre-seed to seed, this is usually benchmarked by time by traction and traction being the amount of users typically that you'll have for your product engagement with respect to customers and also or revenue then you'll go to seed where you most likely have an mvp and you have a product that's out there in the market you're getting some traction you're still relatively small and what you're looking for is to really figure out how to, if you don't already have like the product market fit, how to hit product market fit so that you can scale. Or if you do look like you have early signs of product market fit, then really like getting into scale mode. And then from there, you're going from C to series A, series B, and these are hopefully all just rounds, that's it. And we're, those are just rounds of funding. <clears throat> right? Rounds of funding. Yep. Typically where you are raising larger amounts of money, to expand the business more rapidly and in different ways. So if you're raising money at a pre-seed stage, you might be raising money to for the specific purpose of like bringing in some key team members Mm -hmm. that you really need in order to build your product or your business. Whereas if you're raising money at a series B stage, you might be trying to push out into some big new markets or you want to do some acquisitions, et cetera. So consolidation. I have, I have a question. Do you think that black founders should raise money from VCs? In general? No, I don't. Mm, why? I do not. Would you say that for anybody or just black founders specifically? I am most concerned with black founders. So that's who I will speak to. Gotcha. Okay. And in general, I think no. There are always going to be different paths for different folks. And I think that venture funding can be an amazing tool for certain people. But what I have seen over and over and over again is that once you bring this money into your business, it always comes with strings. Yeah. I have seen so many black women in particular fighting investors and their board. Yeah. Because they will turn on you. <laughs> In the drop of a, uh, at the drop of a dime, they will turn on you. 
and we don't get the same benefits of the doubt. We don't get the same luxuries that male founders do, that non-black founders do. Do you have any examples of those luxuries that black women don't get as founders of VC-backed companies that other founders might get? Okay, so I saw the found the the CEO of I think Better mm-hmm. when he did like a mass layoff and was like crying on the Zoom <laughs> chat. <laughs> He like cried. It was basically like a, it was almost like a, this hurts me more than it hurts you kind of Mm. thing as he's laying off all these people and everybody's like WTF. Like Mm -hmm, what? mm -hmm. Now um, I was like, okay, I can only imagine a black woman getting up here acting like this as she's laying off all these people. They would have eviscerated her. She would have been removed as a CEO because she's not equipped to lead. That's what they would have said. And so I just see it. I see it. I have felt it. I have seen it happen where black women just do not get the same benefit of the doubt. And once you have people who have a foothold in your business, they're, for for some of them, for a lot of them, their focus is on the business and on their return. It is not on you. And if they don't think that you're going to get them the return that they want from that business, they will jettison you out of there Facts. so fast. This is why I think it's important. I know we say, don't be the face of your brand. I know we say it's going to be hard for you to sell when you're the face. But when you're the face, it gives you a certain level of power, too. So, like, when they do try to, up, you know, remove you or unseat you, you can be, like, go to the community. I mean, we, we saw As every, we just saw with Greenwood and, and the, the gathering, gathering spot. spot. Yes, ma'am. You know, seeing them trying to remove folks, co-founders and such. And then they use their personal following, their personal brand to say, hold up, wait a minute, what do you, like, back up and then now they they fixed it right because this could have been real ugly it could have gotten worse but it didn't so i don't know i think there's some benefit to being like the face of your brand also even though it can tax you ding you in a sale and i mean that's a good example right there because it fixed it to a certain level but even thinking about the greenwood and gathering spot that greenwood is a black owned company again took in all this venture capital mm. and so the way that they operate is not necessarily with the same community mindset once you've brought in $90 million of big bank money into your business, you're not thinking about community in the same way that the Gathering Spot community has been thinking about community, which is why they reacted in the way that they did. This is so good. So this is why people tell me, VCs hate crowdfunding, right? They hate crowdfunding for equity, especially because they're just like, oh, that means you're not a serious company. And I'm like, actually, it gives you more control. So my board is me, Tim, and my lead investor from my Series A. That's it. And it's if I hadn't crowdfunded, we would not be, it would be have a five-person board. We wouldn't have no control. You know what I mean? So I just, I love crowdfunding. And if you are somebody who values control more than the size of the company, I recommend crowdfunding to you. I feel like VCs hate crowdfunding because they want to be, the gods of capital <laughs> and they do not want it to be that you can go get the money from the people like like the people like they don't it, know what's going on exactly we know everything and it's like do you know everything tell us more about things like Klarna which y'all put however much money into and it did a down round that was like I don't I think it went from like a 45 billion dollar valuation wow to like a 16 billion dollar valuation wow in their last down round. Wow. So I'm like, okay, VCs, y'all know everything. Right. Well, flat is the new up in this economy. Okay. If you could raise around the same valuation, you're doing real good. Real good. Real good. 
All right, so we didn't get into Empower Global. So we talked about the novelist and we talked about the Black-owned businesses and we talked about the crowdfund. Tell me, you know, so when did the company actually get acquired? And then what has that transition been like? Or are you, um, did you raise more money or was it all from, you know, Diddy? Like what, what happened next? So my company, the novelist, was acquired in June 2021. Okay. We made that announcement in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the 100-year commemoration of the race massacre there. Mm. So it was very, again, very, like, community-focused. And then from then on, I was serving as the CEO of Empower Global, building out that team, building out the product. We did talked to investors and thought about bringing outside capital, ultimately decided not to. So it was self-funded and um, just built for the next couple of years. I left the business in February of this year. So I was there for almost two years and, you know, built the team, built the MVP. And now I am sleeping for the first time. <laughs> Girl, I'm jealous. All I wish sleep that I, 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 I didn't sleeping. get. <laughs> Sleeping for the first time in like a decade. So at what point is it not an acquisition or it's not an investment, it's acquisition? Like what, because you didn't you own some portion or something like that? So like, we don't have to get into specifics, but like, you know, it was acquired, but you know, you were still there and I'm sure you still had some, you know, upside. Mm -hmm. So at what point is it like a 50-50 split when it's not, it's an acquisition, anything more than 60 is an acquisition, anything, you know, you know anything? I, I've never. That's a good question. And I haven't actually delved into it. I would imagine that it's really about control and like mm. who the final decision makers are. That's, a very good That's That is how I would imagine you differentiate between an investment and an acquisition. But acquisitions can look very, very, very different, especially when you're in a market like this. You'll have a lot of acquisitions that are not even like, you know, going to fully acquire a company. They're going to just take IP or they're going to just take the team. They all they're interested in is like a talent acquisition. And so they'll bring in team members and they will have certain you know provisions that make it very lucrative for the team to come over and work with them. Okay. Um, but there's so many different ways to acquire a company which I didn't know any of anything about until I got in the midst of like, oh, wait, these conversations are developing into potential acquisition. I actually really didn't even know what that meant. Mm. I was, again, working my network, calling my community, called a friend of mine who um, who is at A16Z and was like, girl, what? What's an acquisition for real, for real? What be three? Now she's calling her. That's funny. Um, that's what, hilarious. What does that mean? So, yeah, I got a lot of help. Okay. And I, I had to get a lot of help for what it meant for, like, what it could look like with respect to the business, all these different forms. How to even value a business. Right. Like, I didn't even really know at that point, because I wasn't shopping for outside investment, how to value a business. Okay, so I have a couple questions, a little lightning round. What's an unpopular opinion that you have about entrepreneurship and or VC fundraising, whatever you pick? Unpopular opinion about entrepreneurship is that it's mostly bad. <laughs> uh, okay, I, yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. It's mostly bad. It's incredibly bad for your health, physically and mentally. And I think... Honestly, the majority of entrepreneurs that I know 
are either depressed mm. where I've been before or they're adrenaline addicts, mm. which is the only reason why they can survive in that kind of cycle, which I also have self-diagnosed as <laughs> that. Like, I think we just get addicted to a certain level of like chaos and stress because mm. it's chaos and stress all the time, mm. all the time. <laughs> It is like I be trying to I, I tried to tell people when I was a lawyer, like it's very ghetto over here. <laughs> like I tried not to scare the babies when they were going to law school. But I'm like, just be prepared and don't say I didn't tell you. I don't want you to be looking around how like I was. Yeah. So I try to tell people that when it comes to entrepreneurship. So why, so why, go why, why did they do it? It's a good thing as well. You rem you forgot we're, the adrenaline part. Oh, we're addicts. Oh, we're okay. Addicts, and then also you just get used to a certain lifestyle. You get used to a certain level of control, even though you, there's so many things you can't control. You get used to a, a certain level of control with how you set up your businesses, and you start to see so much opportunity, and it's just impossible to ignore. If you're a true entrepreneur, entrepreneur to your core, you'll be. I feel like you and I have talked about this where you like, you go on vacation and you'd be like, now look at all this land over here. They're not doing nothing. <laughs> now, you know what? This isn't really working very well. This could be a business. And like, like <laughs> sit down and enjoy the beach, girl. It's hard. Drink because your mojito. Drink your mojito, but your mind is always going like, there could be a business here. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Khadija, you've been amazing. This is rewarding for me and my spirit thank you so much for coming on the podcast do you thank have you where can people me. find you any final messages anything you want people to know yes yeah, so you can find me i'm on linkedin i'm on i was gonna say i'm on twitter but is it still called twitter is it called x now girl we, we don't know elon's yeah. hobby like <laughs> that's what we're gonna call it i'm trying to get over to spill i'm an android user so they've been acting funny about us uh, android users so you far better stop. So you i'm like oh my get, god let me get into the black club um but i am on all socials i have the same handle is deja don't need you to my girl Khadija, Queen Latifah's character on Living Single. I loved everything about her. Like, she was the ultimate everything. I was a writer back in the day. I was, like, all into journalism. Then she's an entrepreneur. She's running Flavor Magazine. She's just, like, boss. She got all these fine men who always after her. And she's always like, Khadija don't need you. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, that's right. I don't need you. So all of my handles everywhere. Deja don't need you. Also, djdonija.com. That's where I live online. And I occasionally like blog there and put thoughts out there. I am right now focusing on building out a small company. I'm not going to say it's a startup because I don't want to push myself with respect to that level of growth, but building out a small digital tailoring platform for people to order like custom clothing online that we make in Nigeria and ship to mm. people. So, I do spend a lot of time going back and forth to Nigeria. They got me once with, during COVID. I was like, it's not that bad. Mm. I, I could be here. Yes, so, the motherland. You know, I go back and forth there. And I am prioritizing taking care of myself. What I've learned is that as much as I see opportunity everywhere, as much as I am always going to be fundamentally an ambitious person, the more that I rein in the ambition and balance it with like my sense of self, my me as a person and not what I'm building, what I'm doing, how much money I'm raising, mm. what I'm adding to my resume, but like balancing it with me as a person, 
the better I am. So like, don't lose sight of that. It's very easy when you become the face of the business, like you mentioned earlier, to just become consumed by it. And then that's who you are. Yeah. And then the point at which it's time for you to leave that business, because there will always be that point. Yep. Who are you? You will be lost. And I've seen a lot of founders go through that journey as well. I've been there as well. That's so good. Don't be lost, y'all. Don't get lost in the sauce. Don't get lost. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the More Rounds podcast, Khadija. It has been a blast. Thank you guys so much for watching. And I'll see you next time on the More Rounds podcast with Kim Lewis.